Come on, somebody. Amen. Amen. We're in a series called The Upside Down Kingdom, which is basically asking the question, man, what's the difference between Jesus' kingdom and the kingdom of this world? There is a difference. And what we've seen these last few weeks, it looks a lot different than we would imagine. Let me give you a recap of the last few weeks. We're going through verse by verse, word for word, through Luke 6, which is the Beatitudes. In the last couple of weeks, we've said this. Jesus has said this. Blessed are those who know they are spiritually empty and impoverished. Blessed are those who are hungry, who seek after what God desires. And blessed are those, last week we talked about, who mourn over the brokenness of this world and the sin within. Jesus says you are blessed when you know you're spiritually broke. You're blessed when you are hungry and searching. You are blessed when you mourn over the things that, God, that, that causes God's heart to break. It's upside down kingdom, which is really turning things right side up. That God's kingdom, the way of Jesus comes in and breaks into this world and this ethos and this society and the culture. And it says, I'm going to call you to a different way of life. You're living a different way. And I created you to, to live in a different pattern. And so these things look upside down. Who wants to mourn and be hungry and to be broke? But in Jesus' kingdom, that's the currency of the kingdom. Because in all these things, there's promises of, being, uh, of getting the kingdom, of being full, of laughing after. Why? Because we talked about last week, we can take L's on this earth, in this life, because we get a W in the kingdom. We can take L's. We can lose now because we will gain later. And today, we'll talk a lot more about that because Jesus has something to say about that. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn it to Luke 6 uh, or just on your phone. I'd love for you to, even though it's on the slides, just to get used to opening up your Bible to see the context so you realize this is not Chris talking. This is the words of Jesus. You see where they're coming from. Luke 6, this is the next Beatitude. So Jesus is talking about all these things, and this is the next thing he says. This is the last beatitude, the last blessed are you in this chapter that we're going to read through. Next week, we'll have one last sermon on this, but this is the last beatitude. Luke 6, 22, Jesus says this. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you. Chris, I was coming in for like a, an encouraging word. We're going to get there. Blessed are you when people hate you. You see how this is an upside down kingdom? What? What? Um, self-help book, what Dr. Phil episode, what Oprah tweet is going to say, blessed are you when people hate you. You're not going to find that anywhere. You're not going to find that anywhere. Blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you on account of the Son of Man. Very important. Now, let me just take a moment to, to connect why this matters to us, because some of you might be hearing this persecution, and you're like, this has nothing to do with me, Chris. I'm struggling with my marriage. I'm struggling with my kids. I'm struggling with finances. I'm struggling to have faith. And you're talking about persecution. This, how does this connect with me? Let me just say this. I know, I know persecution might not seem relevant to you right now in Jesus' beatitude. But as I've studied this, and the Lord has led me to see some, some things in my life and, and hopefully in your life, 
I believe there's something uh, deeper that Jesus wants to reveal to us this morning. And it's going to take this text and this reality to help uncover something that's unhealthy in us that Jesus wants to be healthy. So if you would just give me the next 40 minutes to be able to process with you this truth from Jesus, uh, we're not just going to talk about persecution. We're going to talk about something deeper that affects us right now in this context. You good with that? You on board? Okay. Uh, I believe there's something deeper Jesus wants us to see. So here's the outline for this morning. Uh, I'm going to throw the outline through questions. There's four questions I want to answer. And really the middle two are the ones we're going to spend a lot of our time on. Number one, I just want to really simply go through what is Jesus saying? Like, what is he really saying when he's saying this? That, that's a very wild statement to make and claim and, and blessing. What is Jesus saying? Uh, why are Christians mistreated? I want to connect the dots for us to understand why does Jesus promise and why does the Bible promise that Christians, disciples of Jesus, will be mistreated? It's a promise. So why? If Christians are supposed to be loving, then why are they mistreated in this world? I'm going to make us hopefully understand a little bit clearer what Jesus is saying. And then how does this apply to us in America? We know America is a place where there's a less persecution, not Zero, but there's less persecution around the world. So how does Jesus' words here apply to you and I in this kind of culture today? And then lastly, I want to end how Jesus ends. How can we rejoice in rejection? I don't know if you realize this. Maybe your verse says this, your version. But when Jesus says, leap for joy, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, what he's saying is rejoice and start dancing. I don't know who's dancing when they're rejected by their coworker. But somehow, I want to find out why Jesus says you can rejoice and dance when you're rejected. You want to find that out? I want to find out what does Jesus mean? He's not just giving us an empty truth. There's a connection between rejection and rejoicing. So, number one, the first question. What is Jesus saying when he's talking about blessed are you who are hated and excluded and reviled and insulted on account of me? Uh, he's saying this, those who follow me will have conflict in and with this world. Will is, I should have highlighted will too, that is a, a promise. This is not something that just might happen to some Christians. Those who follow me, really important, those who follow Jesus will have conflict in this world and with this world. And Jesus is not just talking about the conflict in this world, like the world is broken. Yes, we know that. Last week, we talked about the brokenness of this world. But this week, we're talking about the conflict with the world. Not just brokenness in the world, but conflict with the world. The people, society, the culture, the way the world works is going to be in opposition at times with the people of Jesus. That's what he's saying. I mean, look at his verse. He says this after he's talking about abiding in me. If the world hates you, this is the last discourse of Jesus before he goes to the cross, or trial and cross. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. We don't talk about this often in church. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. I guess that's comforting, Jesus. I don't want to be hated by the world, but I guess it's, I'm in good, good company. If, if you were hated... And you're saying, remember, if they hate you, remember they hated me first. Jesus is letting you know it's going to be difficult. You don't get to be in the kingdom and then get all of the unicorns and the, the rainbows. Everything is just an easy path to the kingdom. In fact, 
I would say following Jesus makes life harder. Easier at some aspects, deeper, but harder. It's a narrow road. It's a hard road. The road to destruction is the wide road and the easy road. Jesus says this is going to be hard. What else is Jesus saying? He's saying people's problem with you will be directly tied to me. Wow. You catch that. He's saying on account of me. We're going to talk about what that means. But Jesus says people's problem with you is directly influenced by me. Like the more you follow me, the more people will will occasionally have a problem with you. Not because you're the problem, because you're doing things the way I say to do them. So hang on to that. That's really important for us in the next few moments. People's problem with you. It's not that you're the problem. It's that they have a problem with what Jesus is claiming. And you're representing that. Then lastly, he comforts us. He says, the world did the same thing to my faithful followers before. Rejoice. Why? Because they did that to the prophets before. Rejoice. Jesus is trying to help us have some comfort in the fact that we're being excluded because he's saying you're in good company. The people who followed me faithfully before, they persecuted them as well. It's not because of you. You're not alone. You're not a weird offset stats in this world of Christians. You are right where you're supposed to be if you're being persecuted for being faithful to me. What Jesus is saying is we should expect opposition. It's a hard thing to think about, especially in our culture. We don't always feel it in the way that we see it around the world. That's why I want to ask the next question. Why does the world mistreat Christians we really need to slow down and understand this because if we just think the world is naturally like a, a, the enemy against the kingdom and have no reason to understand why, then we start seeing people as enemies. And Jesus, that's the last thing he wants us to see as people who are charged to make disciples as looking out into a broken world and saying they're enemies. That is not the perspective we have as Christians, that we look out in the world and say they're enemies. We don't walk out into a world and say, they're already going to be against me, so let's give up on helping them and loving them. Jesus did not take that approach. So why does the world mistreat Christians? Let me just say one word on this is really on my heart to help us clarify something that we might get confused by looking at the media. Okay, I would say it really simply, and then I'll explain it. Jesus is not talking about suffering for being a jerk. Jesus is not talking about suffering because you're dumb. Like you're just making dumb decisions. Jesus is not talking about suffering because you are um, mean to people. Being hated and excluded for being unloving, insensitive, foolish, and proud is not what Jesus is talking about here. Look at this next picture. This might offend some of you. It's not me. It's the people that are doing it. But these are claiming to be Christians. There was other ones I could have used, but they were way more offensive. This is a, a church, Westboro Baptist. You probably have heard of them. They've been all over the news. They're probably not existing anymore. The church is probably only 30 people. But they go around and they protest things. And if you look at these signs, uh, they're not the most encouraging. And they might be complaining that they're getting persecuted in the world because, look, it, they're standing up for God's truth. Can I just tell you, loved ones, this is not standing up for God's truth the way God told you to stand up for it. This is being stupid. And it's not even what God says. Thank God for dead soldiers. That's not even what God says. So being, being persecuted for being this kind of way, Jesus says, that's on your own. You're just acting foolish. We're not talking about being, here's the thing. We think that, um, or this is what these people think, that, they're, that the world is being um, offended by them, and that's a good thing. 
Jesus talks about the world being offended. But here's the difference. Jesus is talking about the message being offensive, not the messenger. If you're being offensive as a messenger, then you you have no connection to letting the message dropping into someone's heart. Let the message of the gospel offend people as it needs to, but don't let you and your personality and the way you harp on people and bang the Bible with people be offensive because then you have let no people. Then you're the obstacle before people following the gospel. And we don't want that. Look at what Peter, I'm not just saying this, Peter says this. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Wow. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. What are you saying? Don't suffer for being anti-Christian. I want you to suffer for being so close to my heart and so close to my ways, not being in the world and like the world. So why do Christians get mistreated in the world then if it's not for how we're acting against the gospel? Here's some gospel logic that I want to break down through what the Bible says. First John says, the world lies in darkness. And John says that Jesus is the light of the world. So let's just make some connections. If the whole world lies in darkness and Jesus is the light of the world, who makes us the lights of the world? Jesus calls you and I, Matthew 5, the lights of the world because he is the light of the world. If the world lies in darkness and Jesus is the light of the world, who makes us the light of the world, then we should be expecting that as faithful disciples of Jesus, we will experience conflict, hatred, and opposition. You see why now there's some conflict that's going to arise. If the world, Jesus describes the culture, the ethos of this world as lying under the power of the evil one, 1 John says, lying in darkness, hearts that are dead because of sin and doing evil deeds, and Jesus says, in your light of the world, when light comes in, there's some friction with darkness. Darkness does not like light. Light exposes darkness. And expose, exposed darkness does not sit quietly. John 3 says this. Jesus says this after John 3, 16. He said, I didn't come in to judge the world. I came in to save the world. Why? And this is the judgment. The world was already judged. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Jesus, the light of the world, has come into the world, but people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. I I just need you to see this, that you have the same gospel perspective as Jesus. Jesus looked out in the world and didn't say, oh, look at how they're doing so good. He looked at them and had a broken heart because they love the darkness more than the light. Let me tell you, loved ones, you, before Jesus saves you, love darkness more than you love light. I loved darkness more than I loved light before Jesus grabbed a hold of my heart and changed it. And Jesus is saying the world, because of Satan blinding them and keeping them enslaved, is making them love darkness because their deeds were evil. So here's how this friction starts to happen. To claim, because we're lights of the world, we're Jesus followers, to claim that Jesus is Savior in a world that denies sin and judgment will lead to offense. Right? To claim that, this is our claim, Jesus is Savior, the one who comes to redeem us. Why? Because we need saving and rescuing. We're sinful. He's the Savior of the world. But if you claim that in the world that denies sin and judgment, that's going to offend some people. But that's the central message of the gospel, that Jesus comes to save sinners. But if a world denies sin, what happens? There's conflict. 
The claim that Jesus is Lord in a world that has other allegiances will lead to conflict. You know, the greatest, the most controversial political statement ever uttered is that Jesus is Lord. Back in the day in the, in the Roman culture, uh, you had a, a coin that literally said, Caesar is Lord. And so to say that Jesus is Lord is not some cute Bible verse. It is a political statement on all other kings and rulers and government officials and power brokers of the world saying, Jesus trumps your authority. And Jesus deserves your allegiance. Jesus is the true king. And to say that Jesus is Lord in a world that worships other kings, other politicians, that's going to cause conflict. You can't put a Christian, a faithful Christian, in a box of Republican or Democratic. You know what we are? We're kingdom. You might vote either way. It doesn't matter. But hopefully as you vote, you're voting. You're not saying my vote is choosing the next king of this country. They're, a, they're not the king. They're not going to change this world like Jesus can change. We're our allegiances to Jesus. And lastly, to claim the Bible as the authority in a world that invents morality will lead to hostility. This world invents their own morality. Why do laws change and things change and standards change? Marriage has changed. Gender has changed. Laws about abortion. All these things keep changing up and down. Why? I'm not just telling you what to believe. I'm just telling you they change things all the time based on what people feel and they want. And the Bible does not change. And so the Bible does not change and you bring in the Bible as the authority, that's going to rub some people wrong because the Bible might go against what the world is saying is right. The Bible does go against what the world is saying is right often. Maybe even some more specific examples. We Christians are often generally insulted for believing that God designed marriage between a man and a woman. I have verbally been, not insulted in that kind of sense, but been critiqued and laughed at for thinking that God designed marriage to be between a man and a woman. We are mocked for thinking that sex should be reserved for a covenant relationship. Mocked. In, in New York Times, in all the Cosmopolitan, whenever you read CNN, everyone's talking about have sex with however many people you want and do those things. And we come in and say, no, 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 this is a treasured gift. It's a good thing, but it is supposed to be honored in the context of a covenant relationship. And what happens? You're mocked for believing that. You're so narrow-minded. How can you believe that? Mocked for it. Or maybe Christians have been excluded. You've been excluded for refusing to worship the God of money and be dishonest in your business. And you and your boss, your boss telling you, care about the bottom line and you can smudge some numbers to make us more money. And you say, no, I'm going to stay on the principles of Jesus and not lie and be honest. And you become, you become excluded in your business and your company because you choose not to do that. Or it might be as simple as you choose not to work 10 hours, 15 hours a day because you want to honor your family and honor Jesus, and they don't like that because you care about your family, not the bottom line. Jesus' life will call you to a different life than this world. The way of Jesus confronts, exposes, and subverts the way of this world. The way of Jesus confronts, it's confrontational, not the messenger of the message. The way of Jesus confronts, exposes, and subverts the way of this world. Or said it a different way, opposition on the count of Jesus is an expected fruit of faithful discipleship. 
Opposition on account of Jesus, on account of Jesus, is an expected fruit. I'm not saying it's the only fruit, but I'm saying it is an expected fruit of faithful discipleship, especially in a world that's growing increasingly hostile to the gospel. What am I saying? What is Jesus saying? Expect to have conflict because my way is different than the world's ways. And the more you're faithful to me, the more that will show. And the more you will have to choose between the way of Jesus and the way of this world. And so often, Jesus' discipleship, call of discipleship, is follow me, leave behind the things of this world. True discipleship is saying, Jesus is better, leave behind these things and follow me. Leave behind these patterns and follow me. Leave behind these idols and follow me. Leave behind these allegiances and follow me. And while we know that's beautiful, it does create conflict. And I know, I know that many of us have, have experienced that conflict in this life because of our decision to say yes to Jesus. But the question I think still remains, something deeper I want to get to, is how do we apply this to our experience in America and in our experience in the Bay Area for people who might not feel like they're being persecuted like we know the rest of the world is being persecuted? Now, hopefully you're aware that persecution is still happening. It wasn't just happening 2,000 years ago. It's different around the world. Many Christians are risking more than their reputation. They're risking their safety, their finances, their lives. My wife was just talking to one of our friends in, in Turkey, and she's in Turkey. She has some friends who are responding to the earthquake that has devastated that place in the country, and and she was sharing some stories my wife shared with me of people who were literally passing out food that says Jesus loves you to other people who were, who were abandoned because their house is gone and now they're, they're, they're stranded and they're passing out food saying Jesus loves you. And our friend told us that they had to leave the country. They had to leave the country because they were serving people food that said Jesus loves you. My wife told me another story of a, a woman that chose to uh, follow Jesus and she was murdered by her family. Murdered by her family. Huh? Yeah, honor killing. Now, I want to say, this is not thousands of years ago. This is the last couple of years. This is happening around the world. So persecution is different than here. This is probably not happening in America like it's happening in other places. So I'm aware of that. I still want to ask the question. I think we need to ask the question to go deeper. We have to pause and ask why our experience is not like the words of Jesus or the Christians around the world. I pause to think about that. Why is my experience and the experience of Christians in the, in the West, Western church, not like the experience of many people around the world? And here's just some prefaces, because I know there's some really easy answers before there's a deeper answer. I understand we have greater freedom here. We do. And it's a gift. Uh, I think it could be a curse sometimes, but it's a gift overall that we have greater freedom here. Uh, I understand that we have a different kind of government. That means that our government has passed laws that enable us to have the freedom of religion. And praise God, we're able to meet in a public school that doesn't claim Jesus, and we're able to proclaim Jesus. That's a miracle. It's even a miracle for other people in, in the California that haven't been able to do that. And God's given us favor. 
And I understand that we are more religious. When I say religious, it's not always a good word, but I'm saying that more people believe in God here than other places. And we are less post-Christian, which means we're still close to the generations of people who only a couple, maybe 30 years ago, the whole, whole, whole of the United States, all of the commercial stores were shut down on Sunday because of Sabbath and church. We're very close to that kind of cultural, like, over umbrella of Christianity. We're not too far away from that, even though we've gone far from that. But there's something that we overlook and why our experience is different. We can easily blame it on different culture, different government. They're oppressive. And while that's very true, there's something that is hiding underneath that's unhealthy that Jesus wants us to see. Many of us don't experience the insults and the conflict that Jesus speaks of because people don't have any reason to disagree with us. Read that again. Many of us don't experience the insults and the conflict and the opposition that Jesus speaks of because people don't have any reason to disagree with us. I think you know where I'm going with this. When people are walking around, they're interacting with you at your business or coffee shop or whatever, and we're, we're, not, we're not seeing the things that Jesus said, that people are going to insult us or they're going to hate us or exclude us. And we have to ask the question, why isn't that happening? Because Jesus and Luke is not even talking about physical persecution. He's talking about verbal persecution and relational persecution. That happens in America. But some of us, we are not living the way of Jesus in the way that Jesus wants us to live. And so when people interact with us, we don't look any different than them. And so there's no reason for them to insult us. There's no reason for them to have conflict with us because we blend right in. In other words, our discipleship to Jesus is often more private than public, more concealed than revealed. Might not be for everyone in this room, but hopefully it's for a few people that I've talked to, I know, have shared to me this kind of concern and fear of sharing and talking and living for Jesus outside of the church and with the people in their workplaces, their family, their neighbors, maybe even their husband or wife. Often, the American church's faith in Jesus is more private than public and more concealed than revealed. And unfortunately, the stuff that becomes public is the stuff that gets on the news like that, and that's not the faith of Jesus. But there's a sense that we want to, we want to operate in this safety here. We're all like-minded at the, at the, at the largest point of our our, our um, consensus, we believe in Jesus. And so what that means, we're not going to be persecuted in here if we talk about Jesus. But outside these walls, we know we might. And so we don't bring him up. We don't talk about him. And the farthest we might get is that we tell people we go to church. And let me just say it as lovingly as I can. That is not um, testifying to Jesus. This is telling someone that you go to church. It is not being a faithful witness. It's a great start. It's a great start. It's beautiful that you tell people that you go to church. But let me just say this maybe a different way. That's, that's the start, not the completion of how you witness and follow Jesus in the public sphere. And so what's underneath this? Why are we so afraid of sharing Jesus? Why are we so fearful of people's rejection? Why are we so timid about our faith in Jesus? I don't understand it all. There's a connection that is missing between us who would raise their hand and believe that Jesus is the Lord of Lords who resurrected. 
Would you believe that? Would you say yes to that? Yes, raise your hand. Come on. You believe that Jesus is the Lord of Lords resurrected. Okay, so we believe that, and my mind blown, and I had this struggle in my own life. We believe that, but then we get around people, and we see their brokenness, and we see they're going after all these things, and we don't bring up Jesus. We see their idolatry and their false worship, and we don't bring up Jesus. And all I'm asking for myself and us, what is the disconnect between the reality we know and the, and the way we live. There, there's something there. And if I just were to shoot straight, I think this is one of the main reasons. The issue for many of us is that we value the approval of man more than we value the name of Jesus. I'm not saying that's true 24-7 for your faith, but I'm saying that there's moments in your life, predominantly when you're talking to non-believers maybe, where you in that moment case by case, value the approval of that man or woman more than you value the name of Jesus. That's the only right way I can understand why we do not talk about Jesus and live like him in a way that might bring up offense. We care about that person's opinion. We care about not rocking the boat. We care about not losing the job. We care about not losing the friendship. We care about not getting insulted and criticized and critiqued. And so we don't bring Jesus up. I think we should sit with that for a moment. I don't think you would say that's right. I don't think that's right. And I'm speaking from experience. I've had that in my life where I've had moments of being able to bring up Jesus, where the Holy Spirit of God prompted me to bring him up, and I did not because of fear of man. And I bet many of us can say yes to that. I'm not saying that God is like angry at you, or I'm angry. I'm just saying I want to get, to the, I want to get underneath that and make that not a problem. Because there's people, we're talking about us risking someone's opinion, and there are people risking their lives right now for Jesus. Why? What's the difference? That's why I said the freedom that we have is a gift, but also a curse, because it allows us to, to maybe go in between the way of Jesus and the way of the world. The blessing of the limited freedom, I say this with tact, but the blessing of the limited freedom that other people have is they don't have a choice. You choose Jesus or you choose the world. There is no sitting on the fence. Our freedom fosters apathy. Our freedom fosters duplicity. Our freedom fosters us sitting on the fence, choosing when we want to be a faithful follower of Jesus and when we don't want to be. And I just want to say this before you and, and who's watching online, uh, um, I'm sure you agree with this. If not, we can talk after. The level of persecution we see in, this, in the United States is mild. It will get worse. The Bible says that. It will get worse. The whole world will get worse. And so I want to figure out how to be faithful to Jesus when the, when the cost isn't that high right now so that when the cost does get high, I'm able to be faithful. Because I know for my own self, just logically thinking, if I can't be faithful when people are, the worst they can do is insult me and might lose a job, how am I going to be faithful when people threaten my family or my life? That's a real thing happening to many of our friends and brothers and sisters around the world right now. Do you know the fastest growing church in the world is the church in Iran? And the church in Iran right now is one of the most highly persecuted areas in the world. And if you choose Jesus, 
you choose to be disowned by your family and murdered. When I watched a video about this recently, most of their faces were blurred out because they couldn't even show their face because of safety. Yet they choose Jesus every day. I just want to have, come on, can I be real? I want to have a faith that says, Jesus, you're worth it. You are worth me risking your life. Jesus, you bled and died for me. And, and I don't have to, we don't have to earn it back. You don't have to sacrifice to say, I love you, Jesus. But man, I want to say the deepest part of my heart, you are worth it. You sacrifice for me and I want to give up whatever I can for you. Don't you want that kind of faith? Isn't Jesus worthy of it? We're not headlong rushing into danger for danger's sake, but we're saying, Jesus, you are worthy of us sacrificing our comfort in our life. Look what Jesus says, Luke 6, 26. This is the end of the passage. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Can I give you a, a Christopher translation of that? Is that okay? No, this is a paraphrase. This is TCT, the Christopher translation. I almost put some cuss words in here, but I had to hail back. So you can ask me for the unexplicit un version later. Woe to you when you fit right into the world so much that no one disagrees with your beliefs or your lifestyle. It's the same exact thing that has happened to all those who have had a counterfeit faith. That's what Jesus is saying. He says they did, they, they did that to the false prophets. What does false mean? Counterfeit. They weren't real prophets. Let me read that one more time. Woe to you when you fit right into the world. He's talking to Christians. Woe to you when you fit right into the world so much that no one disagrees with your beliefs or your lifestyle. It's the same exact thing that has happened to all those who have had a counterfeit faith. We fear what our friends might think. We fear being excluded and left out. We fear being looked at differently. I know, we fear being made fun of for our beliefs. We fear losing respect or losing our position. And I get it, there might be real risk involved. But Jesus says, woe to you. It's a term of grief and judgment. Woe to you who fit right into this world, who claim discipleship to me, and yet really follow the way of the world more than me. Woe to you. I, you know, I'm thankful, even though these aren't, uh, these aren't comfortable messages, I'm thankful that Jesus has this in the scriptures because the woe to you challenge us to wake up. Woe to you who are full. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you who don't mourn. Woe to you who have everything. Why? Because that's the way of the world. And the point is to not live the way of the world, but to live the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is the way of blessing, even though it's hard. And I don't want to have a life that makes people, when they interact with me, they find out I'm a Christian, they go, wow, I never knew that. That's an indictment, not a cute statement. I don't want people surprised that I'm a Christian. And I've gone through this. I'm not going to share the story because I share it often, but I've gone through this. I've shared Jesus. I've lost a job because of it. I've, I've risked stuff because of that, and it wasn't comfortable. But at the end of the day, it came to my mind and heart that Jesus is more worth it and the mission of sharing Jesus is more worth it than this person cussing at me right now, risking my job or my finances. And I hope you get to that place, however it looks like, because then you start seeing that when you lose everything else, Jesus is better. He is better. 
He is better. Look what Jesus says. Let me, let me bless you with some encouragement. You are the light of the world. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, you're the light of the world. If they're a Christian, if not, don't say that. I love you for those who aren't believing in Jesus, but you are not a light of the world. Jesus says he's the light of the world who makes his followers the light of the world. Look at what he says about us, about the church. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. He's talking about us and our problem. He's talking about us and the movement church and a lot of the Americans around the world who are scared, who, who know their light but, but hide. And he's saying no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. You don't go to Ikea to get an amazing $30 lamp and then put a blanket over it. That's crazy. And Jesus is saying the illogic nature of that is the same as you being made the light of the world because the spirit of the risen Christ lives in you and then you hiding behind a wall and acting like you fit right into the world. No one lights a lamp puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone. The purpose of you, you are placed where you are in the moment you are in to give light to everyone else. Testify to who God is to the people around you. You are a light that says, I'm here to show Jesus to you. You know Jesus' plan for making disciples and letting the world know about him? You. You are the plan. You are the plan. He could have stayed, but he didn't. He said, it's better for I to go so I send the helper of the Holy Spirit who fills you so you can do even greater things than I do. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see, see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let that inward part of Jesus, let Christ, it's not you plus Jesus. Let Jesus living through you, Christ in me. I no longer live. I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says that. Why are you saying that? I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live. Because Christ is the life inside of you. And the more you let Jesus live through you, the more people will see Jesus. The more we say, Jesus, be quiet. I want to I do this. The more we hush the light, cover the light, and let people see ourselves. And Jesus wants you to be placed all around the world so that they go, man, this person is broken and they're still kind of ratchet. But there's something about Jesus in them. They still have issues and sin, but there's something about even the way they sin. They're humble. They're repentant. They mourn it. There's something about the way they rejoice, something about the way they sacrifice. It's not because Hyde is great or Jeremy is great or Kevin's great. It's because Jesus is in them. Jesus is in them. I want to live in such a way where people go, what the heck is wrong with Chris? People say that a lot, but... I want to give the good reason. Like, there's something wrong with me. Why would he choose that? You know, often I, I've gotten this flack from my parents, from people, my friends. We're like, you're making crazy decisions. And I'm like, no, no, I'm just following Jesus. It just looks crazy to you. Me getting saved and going to Bible college, my parents are like, that's stupid. You make no money as a pastor. Okay, but I want to be a pastor. Would you pay for me to go to Bible college? <laughs> and they did. It's awesome. Uh, me going to Oakland, you know what? One time I was at, working at Trader Joe's and my parents, I'm a grown man, married, have a kid, working at Trader Joe's at night shift to make money so that I could plant a church here. And in my shift, it's embarrassing. My parents come to the frozen section at Trader Joe's in, in Lakeshore 
and say, we need to talk to you. You are not moving to Oakland. It's unsafe. You're not bringing our, our granddaughter here. I was like, Mom, I'm a grown ass man. You're going to, you call me out at Trader Joe's. I'm following Jesus. And it did not make sense to them that God has called us to Oakland eight years ago to do this work. Your life should not make sense to people who are living in this world. Not because you're doing dumb things, but because you're doing irrational things because the king of kings calls you to do irrational things in comparison to this world for him. You know what's, always, you know what's also irrational? A God who humbles himself to die for sinners. We serve an irrational God in that sense. And if the Jesus that we believe in humbled himself and serves, and he's a king, then your life's gonna look a lot different than what this world expects. And people, he says, they see your good works. I want people to see the good things flowing out of me, even in my brokenness, so they glorify Jesus. They're not going, wow, you're awesome. They glorify God. They see me, and they look up and see Jesus. They see the good, and they look up and see Jesus. Our public faithfulness to Jesus is designed to lead the world to see and glorify God. So I just want to put this in perspective. Uh, this is bigger than what people think of us. You got to get outside of that. I know it's hard that people might reject you and they might not like you. They might not agree with you. They might exclude you. They might insult you. But this is way bigger. This is people seeing Jesus who don't know Jesus and glorifying God because of them seeing him work through you. So much bigger than what people think of us. We have to take a gospel perspective and we have to value Jesus more than people's opinions. At the end of the day, Let's just cut out all the excuses. At the end of the day, when I choose to, to diminish the faith of Jesus for the sake of people's opinions, I'm choosing their opinions to be more valuable than Jesus. Let's just call it what it is. Let's not try to make excuses for it. Like, oh, I just didn't have the right time. I don't know enough of the Bible. That, that's just not an excuse that I don't think Jesus is going to buy. Because you know the same thing that the people who got saved by, what it happens when Jesus saved that de uh, demonic person? And they're like, what happened? And they're like, I don't know. I was one way and now I'm this way. Do you know that? Were you one way and now you're a different way? Then you know enough to share about Jesus. You need to know more of the Bible. You should know the Bible. It helps. The Bible is the word of God. The more you have it, the more you have a reason for the faith that's in you. But you just need to know one thing. Jesus saved a sinner like me. I was loving one thing and now I love him. I was looking at pornography, I was doing drugs, sex out of marriage, I would live my own way, and now I have a different value system. I have a different way of living. I love Jesus more. Who can explain that? I don't know, but Jesus saved me. Jesus can save you. Jesus can save you. So what, what's the thing you need to know? That Jesus is the savior of the world and that you value Jesus more than people's opinions. Last question, how can we rejoice when people reject us? People are going to reject you. People are going to criticize you if you live faithful to Jesus. People are going to ridicule you. They're going to exclude you. That word exclude is connected to the Jews being kicked out of the synagogue when they became Christ followers because they were no longer Jews. They were, they were apostates. They were following a false Messiah. And so the, their friends and family members kicked them out of being a part of the synagogue. And the same thing happens nowadays. You get excluded from all kinds of things because you are a faithful follower of Jesus. Look what he says, Luke 6, 23. And land here. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. 
Can I just stop? Look at, look at, this is Jesus' logic, not my logic. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, look, your reward is great in heaven. I'm so thankful for this logic. Jesus wants us to see that he is the reward and that the reward of heaven with Christ is greater than the suffering you are going through on this earth. Say it this way. Every loss we take on account of Jesus will be rewarded in heaven by God. That's what he's telling us. Every loss, every L you take now will be rewarded, recomps in heaven by God, which means this. Pay attention. The losses now are really just trophies in disguise. That's crazy. The losses you take now are really just trophies in disguise on account of Jesus. Not the losses for living the world's way. The losses that you live and you take on on account of Jesus are really trophies in disguise. And God will bless you because of it. Can I say this too? Jesus is our reward, but there are rewards in heaven. He is our greatest reward. But I believe there are crowns and the rewards. I don't know what they are. The Bible talks a lot more about them than we do. That God is a great God. When you are a good father or mother, you reward your kids when they do well, right? Teachers do that. Companies do that. Let me tell you, that came from God. God rewards people who follow him. So your company might send you to Italy. But let me tell you, God's going to send you to Mars when you're in heaven. I I don't know what it looks like. But I I believe there are rewards. Now, we don't do it for the reward. We do it because Jesus is our reward. But Jesus wants us to know. Jesus didn't say here. Go back to that verse real quick. I just got to say this. Jesus did not say here, rejoice because I'm your reward and you don't need anything else. Uh, of course we know that. Of course Jesus is our reward. He is heaven. Heaven is presence with God. But he also says, leave for joy for your reward is great in heaven. We get the crowns that God gives us. And Revelation talks about one day the crowns we get, the rewards we get. Because Jesus is even better than our rewards, we cast them down at his feet. But you still get them. You just realize even the rewards you get in heaven are not as worthy as Jesus. Every loss we take on account of Jesus will be rewarded in heaven. Do you have faith, loved ones, to see that every L you take now is going to be recompensing heaven? It's going to be rewarded in heaven. God will take care of you. You're really not losing anything now if you follow Jesus and lose stuff here. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because if you did, you will live a risk-filled life. Not a foolish life but a risk-filled life that looks foolish to the world? Or do you want to live secure, comfort, not ruffling feathers? I'm sorry, but I think sometimes the world might need their feathers ruffled for them to see Jesus. Look what Jesus says, Matthew 19. We're going to end here. Everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. This is Jesus talking. This is Jesus talking. He's saying everyone who gives up father and mother and house for my sake, who leaves, you could have a great job and make millions of dollars, but you leave that to go into ministry. You leave that to follow Jesus. You leave that to go follow the kingdom. And Jesus says, don't worry. What you give up there will be paid back in a hundred times in heaven. That's the logic of the kingdom. Jesus is trying to help us see you can't lose when you follow me. You might take some temporary L's, but you can't lose when you follow me. This is what the gospel says. 
that Jesus turns every loss into a gain, every death into a resurrection, and every wound into worship. That's the gospel logic, upside down kingdom. Jesus turns every loss for him into a gain, every death in his name into a resurrection, and every wound we feel into worship. Do you got to believe everything you experience on this life that is not right will be redeemed? That's the purpose of redemption. God is redeeming everything. Well, one day, everything that is sad will come untrue in the name of Jesus. When your joy is secure in Christ, nothing on earth can threaten it. Where is your joy this morning? Where is your joy? If it's in this world, it can be threatened, it can be removed, it can be risked, it can be lost. If your joy is in Christ, then nothing can threaten your joy. Nothing can shake your joy. No circumstance can take away your joy. In fact, if your joy is in Jesus, the pains of this world increase your joy in Jesus. Because they make you realize this world is futile compared to Jesus. This world is temporary compared to Jesus. The world is not as good as Jesus. And so you look at Jesus and say, these losses just make me appreciate Jesus more. You ever been to that point? I've been to that point where I've been broken on my knees, losing relationships, losing things. And I'm like, this sucks. And I'm in pain and I'm crying and the pain is real. But then by faith, I see Jesus. Thank you. You are better than this loss. And I have you and nothing can take you away. Do you treasure Christ like that? Because those who treasure Christ like that will live a risk-filled life that will show the world who Jesus is. Here's a sermon in a sentence, the takeaway that Jesus wants us to, I believe, see and believe. Allegiance to Jesus is greater than the approval of this world. Allegiance to Jesus is greater than the approval of this world. If you're going to follow Jesus faithfully, you will lose some approval of men and women around you, and that's okay. That's okay. He's better. And the world needs a whole bunch of Christians who say he's better over and over again. So here's how I want us to respond. Think about this before we get into groups and we're going to discuss. I don't want to just talk about this and it's like, this is great, rally, we're rallied up, but then we go live the same way. There needs to be obedience to the words of Jesus. He's worthy of it. So I want you to think about that person. Who is that person? Well, what is that environment where you are diminishing your faith in Jesus? What person, what relationship, what environment are you tempted and have been tempted to hide your faith? To not really bring it up. To kind of throw out little things so you get people off your trail like, yeah, I, I believe in God. And, and you know you can say enough to get people off it, but not really go into it. I'm not saying pound people with the Bible. But I'm saying people need to know about Jesus. How are they going to know, Paul says, if people aren't sent? And they speak. You are, you are Jesus' plan for extending his kingdom in the world. So once you think about that person, I'm sure we all have that person or that environment or that situation or that circumstance where we're tempted to hide Jesus. And I want you, we're going to share that and then pray. But I just wanted to give you some encouragement as you move into this next week and you interact and bump, bump, you know, in, in, in the hallway, shoulders with that person who you don't want to talk about Jesus because you know that they hate Christian and they're going to say something bad to you. But the Spirit of God is welling up something inside you to bring something up. I want you to think about this. Think about in that moment who you know Jesus to be. 
the risen king, the lamb who was slain, the one who created the world, the one who died for the sins of every sinner. Think about that Jesus and live in alignment with that reality. Force yourself to say, no, 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 I believe this is reality and I'm gonna move my life into alignment with that reality. Don't have enough being, this is what I believe about Jesus, but now I'm gonna choose safety and comfort. You don't, that, there's a word for that. It's called hypocrisy. Jesus, Jesus does not have a good word for hypocrisy. He says, don't be hypocrites. What, what is the opposite of being a hypocrite? Aligning your life to what you believe. Aligning your belief to your life. You don't have to be perfect, but that we would, no matter the consequence, say Jesus is Lord and we're going to align our reality with Jesus is Lord no matter what. And guess what? Jesus might do something really crazy and beautiful when you get that resolve in you to live for Jesus in a world that could be hostile. So think about that person or that environment. I want you to turn to two or three people and do this. I want you to share that relationship. Hopefully you've processed it and maybe you can process it for one or two minutes. I want you to pray for a significant amount of time. Take two or three minutes, share the relationship area, the relationship you have with that person. You're not kind of, you're, you're hiding Jesus or the area where you are timid with your faith in Jesus. Share it. Don't explain the circumstances. Just share the area so people know. And I want you to lay hands on each other and pray for boldness. Pray for boldness. Acts 4, the disciples got persecuted. They left. They came back to the house and they prayed for boldness. And the Spirit of God, the Bible says, fell on them and they left proclaiming the Word of God with boldness. I don't know what you believe about the Holy Spirit falling, but the Holy Spirit fell on them. They gave them a fresh boldness. Y'all need the Holy Spirit to give you boldness. I need the Holy Spirit to give me boldness. It's not going to be enough to be rallied up in our flesh. It comes through supernatural means. The Holy Spirit of God needs it. So more than getting a tactic and a strategy, you need to get on your knees and pray that God gives us the boldness to live out what Jesus is. And it comes from the Spirit of God. So let's be open. God, would you bless my friend, my sister, my brother with boldness and to believe by faith that Jesus is better than the approval of man. Can we do that, church? Let's do that right now. Let me pray for you real quick and then we'll get back up in five minutes or seven minutes in worship. Father, we thank you so much that you are better. You are better, God. You are better. And we know that mentally and theologically, but Lord, help me help us align our realities to that. We're not trying to get persecuted for the sake of persecution. We're trying to expand your kingdom faithfully and be faithful followers of you. And that means there's going to be opposition. You promise it. But in the light of opposition, in the light of light hitting darkness, people can see. It takes light to see. And when we turn on our lights, people will see you and glorify you. Would that happen? Holy Spirit, would you give us fresh boldness to live for you, Jesus, in the way that you deserve to be lived? In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's get in groups two to three. Let's share that one area, that one person, and let's pray fresh boldness over each other.